Y'all clapping for me? All right, I appreciate that. It has been a sweet, sweet time of worship this morning, hasn't it? I'm talking about from the first song all the way down to hearing about how we're taking the gospel to the nations. I've laughed, I've cried, I've sweated. I mean, we're doing calisthenics up here. I'm, my, my watch is going off saying I'm doing a workout. So it's been a sweet, sweet time of fellowship. My name is Tim Ballard. I have the pleasure of being one of the four pastors here in Acosta River Church. So let me take this time to offer my own word of greeting. And is that Alexandria Frank right there? Alex, stand up for me, sis. I thought I saw you over there, I, I, but I don't want to put you on the spot, but it is good to see you. It's good to see you. Uh, so she's a dear sister who was a member here. Um, and now I believe you're teaching up in Connecticut. New Hampshire, I'm sorry about that, teaching up in New Hampshire, so it's good to see you. Um, again, if you're joining us for the first time today, you have dropped in to a series that we're doing on the covenant community. So we're walking through our church covenant that you're gonna find on page eight of your bulletin that we're gonna read a little bit later. Um, so this series on the church covenant is part of a broader series that we're trying to do here at ARC to start the year. And we're doing this series of topical sermons to reestablish a firm foundation in who we are as a local church. So you heard Pastor D earlier talk about how they were planning to go to Zambia and then COVID hit, right? Shut everything down, sent us to our rooms, to our living rooms, Zoom after Zoom after Zoom with a Google Meet here, then another Zoom and another Zoom. And it just really messed up our vibe and our rhythms as who we are as a church. And so as pastors, we thought it'd be really, really good to change the way we do things a little bit. So normally, if you're with us, you, you know we take a book of the Bible, we like to walk through it verse by verse and line by line, which we will do later this year. But we wanted to come with a series of topical sermons to remind ourselves who we are as a local church. So in the start of 2022, our own Pastor D led us through our 5M series on the message of the gospel, showing mercy, shepherding to maturity, seeking to multiply and sending missionaries, which we often do to kick off a new year to remind ourselves about the DNA of who we are as a church. And then Pastor T kind of took the baton from Pastor Dennis and he led us through a series on this pastor people relationship. And the goal of that series was to examine the expectations of the pastors and the people that God has given them to shepherd in hopes that we would each understand our expectations and then live them out. And then as I said, now we're here uh, with the covenant series or about our church covenant. And what we wanna do is we want to remember, we wanna rekindle, we wanna reaffirm all that we may have lost over these past two years plus that the pandemic has given us. And our hope is that as we put this in front of us, as we remind ourselves of our responsibilities as members of this local church, that our right thinking would then lead to right action, right? So there's no use in having all this wonderful, good theology if we just, you know, sit with that joint. We got to open it up, have our mind and our hearts drive our feet to the glory of God. And so that's what we're trying to do here. So for the rest of our time, I want us to spend it as follows. I'm going to pray because it's always good to pray, right? Then I'm going to ask that we would stand and read our church covenant. So everyone, if you have a bulletin, you're going to see that on page eight. So after we pray, we're going to read that church covenant. And then I just want to spend a little time looking at how the covenant itself is structured. 
we're going to make a few observations about that covenant, and then we're going to jump into that next paragraph about submitting to the authority of the scriptures. All right. So with that, let's pray. Lord God, indeed, it is a privilege and an honor to stand here today. Father, I know that I cannot do that in my own strength. And Father, I ask that you will use me through your Holy Spirit to speak your words to your people. I do thank you for each person who has gathered here together today. We know that they are not here by accident. I thank you for each member of ARC and how you have moved in their lives, like our brother Andrew and others, and all the different testimonies that explain why we're here today. We thank you for calling us out of darkness and into your marvelous light. Lord God, I thank you for those who are with us who are not Christians, who may have never heard the gospel. We thank you even for them. And we ask that before this service is over, that they may indeed repent and believe the gospel. It's in your son's name I do pray. Amen. So if you have your bulletin, or if you're at home and you have it digitally or, or even with paper, I would ask that you now stand. And I'm going to ask that we would renew our covenant together to kind of get this started. All right, so it's on page eight of your bulletin, or if you have your phone or your laptop or what have you, let us read it together. Having been brought by God's grace to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we now, in dependence upon his spirit, resolve to live by faith and so establish this covenant with each other. By God's grace, we will submit to the authority of the scriptures as the final word on all matters of life and doctrine. We will work and pray for the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. We will be devoted to one another in brotherly love. With humility and gentleness, we will patiently bear with each other, forgiving, encouraging, and building one another up, exercising watchfulness over each other, and admonishing one another when necessary. We will not neglect to gather together or to pray for ourselves and others. We promise to bring up our children and youth in the training and instruction of the Lord and by a pure and loving example to seek the salvation of our family and friends. We will rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep, helping to carry each other's burdens. We will seek by God's help to live carefully in this world, denying ungodliness and worldly passions. We will strive to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age as we wait for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We will defend and maintain an evangelical ministry in this church by supporting and upholding the preaching of the word of God, the administration of the gospel sacraments, baptism and the Lord's Supper, and the exercise of church discipline. We will contribute cheerfully, generously, and regularly to the support of the ministry, the expenses of the church, the relief of the poor, and the spread of the gospel through all nations. We will, when we move from this place, as soon as possible, unite with some other church, we can carry out the spirit of this covenant and the principles of God's word. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen. You may be seated. So as we preach through this series on our church covenant, it's very important that we remember that it's more than just words on a paper. The covenant is meant to play an important role in the life of our church. So I found a quote from Mark Dever in a book entitled The Deliberate Church that I found to be extremely helpful in understanding the purpose of a church covenant. 
So Mark says, speaking of a church covenant, it provides a biblical standard of behavior for members, notifying them of what it means to be a member of the local church and reminding them of the obligations that membership entails for our lifestyles and interactions with each other. And so I wanna take two key words from this quote and kind of relate them to our membership here at ARC. And those words are notifying and reminding. So all of you are probably, or actually everyone who is a member already knows this, but if you're thinking about being a member, we do something here called a membership process, where one of the pastors will meet with a potential member to find out more about their life and to make sure that they understand and have accepted the gospel. Through that membership interview process, we actually ask that potential member to read the church covenant and then to sign it. And so as pastors, when we're asking that member to read the covenant, that's our way of notifying them what we expect them to do as members of this church. And when that member signs that, or that potential member rather, when they sign that covenant, that's their way of notifying us that they understand and that they accept the commitments that are found in this covenant, right? So this covenant is a very important uh, tool in the life of this church, right? Now, not only do we ask new members to do that, but when we are um, also at members meetings, when we're um, at the Lord's Supper, or even what we just did to start the service, every time that we renew our covenant, we are reminding ourselves what it is we have said we will do as ARC members. So it's so much more than simple words on a paper. It is a tool to notify and remind us who we are as members of this church. So last week, you remember that Pastor T started us off with the opening paragraph, and he taught us about covenants in general and how covenants and contracts differ. And then he moved us to the church covenant in that opening paragraph that we just read, and he reminded us that a covenant community must be built on three realities. And those realities are, one, we are saved by grace. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Because ain't none of us getting up in heaven if it was up to us. Number two, we depend on the Holy Spirit. So once we come to faith in Christ, once we accept Christ as our Savior, the Bible says that we are given the Holy Spirit as a guarantee of what's going to come. So when Christ returns, because we have the Holy Spirit, because we've been sealed with him, we can be assured of our salvation. And then number three, we live by faith. Now, so today we're going to pick up that next paragraph about submitting to the Bible. But before we do that, I want us to notice uh, several things about this covenant, just the way that it's structured. So if you have your covenant, again, it's on page eight, you'll notice that with the exception of that opening paragraph and that closing paragraph, every other paragraph in the covenant starts off how? We will, right? Now that's extremely important because what that we will is indicating, it's a call to action that we're gonna live on purpose. We're going to intentionally live by the commitments in this covenant as we are in relationship together. So as members, as, as members rather of ARC, we don't want to live by accident. We will fail as a church if we try to do that. We, without question, want to live on purpose with intentionality. And that's why when we look at the covenant, we see that with the exception of the first and the last, everything else starts with we will. So we are letting ourselves know that there are things that we actually have to do as members of ARC. So much more than simple words on a paper. Second observation, 
you'll notice that with the exception of our, um, our we will today about the scriptures, that the majority of these uh, commitments can be broken down into two different categories. One, I'm calling a person category. And that's where the object of the commitment is a person. So it could be us together or it could be us individually, but each one of those, the object is a person. And then that second category is the local church itself. So the object of that commitment is the local church. So if you just quickly take a look at it, again, we'll skip the first one, we'll come back to that in a second, but you'll see we'll pray for unity. Well, you need people for unity. The second one, we will be devoted to one another, an, another. So again, there's a person. We will gather together. Again, it's people involved there. So we keep going and all these are person commitments where we're in relationship with one another until you come down and then we see the church. So we will maintain an evangelical ministry in this church. So this is a church commitment. And then the one after is kind of a mix. We see people and we see the church. So we have person commitments and we have local church commitments. But that first one today, that one's different. It's in the category all by itself because the object of that commitment, it's not a person, it's not the local church, it's God's word. It stands above and apart from all the other commitments and it does that for very good reason. And so that's where we're going to spend the rest of our time. So that was a really long intro just to say that for the rest of our time together, we're going to talk about submission to God's word. So if you're taking notes, the main thought, the main point for the rest of our time together is simply this. A covenant community is one that thrives as it submits to God's word. I'll say that one more time. A covenant community is one that thrives as it submits to God's word. And so we're gonna ask and answer three questions as we think about that topic. Question number one, why is submission to God's word the first commitment in our covenant? Why is submission to God's word the first commitment in our covenant? Question number two, how should we understand submission to God's word in the presence of sin in our lives? How should we understand submission to God's word in the presence of sin in our lives? And then question number three, how does submission to God's word make us better ARC members? How does submission to God's word make us better ARC members? So for the first question, why is submission to God's word the first covenant, I'm sorry, the first commitment rather in the covenant? And the simple answer is because it's the most important we will statement in the entire covenant. If we get this we will commitment right, if we understand the value and the benefit of obeying God's word, then living out the rest of the covenant, though hard, will be easier than if we don't get this first one. So we can think about this first we will uh, commitment as the soil from which all the other commitments grow or the foundation on which all the other covenants are built. Because what we find in the covenant, again, we're just talking about the structure of the covenant, is that this submission to the Bible commitment is functioning as an umbrella that covers select commands from the Bible that we must follow as we commit to living in a certain way together. It goes something like this. If I'm a Christian and I'm a member of Anacostia River Church and ARC has a church covenant, and that church covenant is based on commands that are found in the Bible, and it is, then I must abide by all the commitments found in this church covenant because they are based on the Bible and I must submit to the Bible. 
So this is why this commitment of submitting to the Bible is first, and this is why it's in the category all by itself, because it's so foundational. If we don't get that, we don't get the rest. But if we get that, then we get the rest. But here's a question. Why must we submit to the Bible? Why must I do it? What makes it an authority in all areas of life and doctrine? And so I want to give us two really good reasons for why the Bible is an authority in all areas of our life and doctrine. Reason number one, because of what the Bible is. And then reason number two, because of what the Bible says. So let's take a look at that first reason. What is the Bible? So if you were with us two Sundays ago, you remember that Pastor Jeremy, a guest pastor, came and he preached and answered that exact same question. And so I don't want to try to re-preach that sermon because I don't think I can do a good enough job. I mean, my man came with that Latino flavor, talking about his grandparents and doing all that other stuff. So I'm not going to try to preach that exact sermon, but I do want to review some of the things that he said because it's going to be very helpful as we consider why we should submit to the Bible. And so Pastor Jeremy, he took us to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 to 17, and from there he gave us four qualities about the nature and the character of the Bible. And so let me just read that verse from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And so from these two verses, the first quality that Pastor Jeremy gave us is that the Bible is unlocked by Jesus. And if you remember, he took us to Luke 24, verse 44, where we find a resurrected Jesus talking to his disciples and saying these words. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, in the prophets, in the Psalms must be fulfilled. So what is Jesus saying? That in one way, shape, or form, the entire Bible is about him. It's all about Jesus, about his his birth, his sinless, perfect life, his death on a cross, and his resurrection, and then his promise to return for all those that have put his faith in him. So the entire Bible is all about Jesus. And this is why we call the gospel the good news of Jesus, because this is what the Bible is all about. So where we find ourselves in the Old Testament pointing to Jesus and in the New Testament revealing Jesus in his fullness, his life, his death, his resurrection, as we spoke about earlier. So that first quality of what the Bible is, is that Jesus unlocks the Bible. And then Pastor Jeremy took us to a second point and said, the Bible is written by God. And that's where the authority comes in. Because yes, these words that we find on the pages of scripture, they were written by men, but these are actually God's word. Second Timothy says they were breathed out by God. So the gospel message and everything else in the Bible that points to it, whether it's in the Old Testament or the New Testament, it can be believed and it should be followed because they are God's word. This is what the Bible is. And then he gave us two more points that I'll go through real quickly about why the Bible is an authority on our lives. And he reminded us that the Bible instructs us about God and about godliness. It reproves us by telling us when we're wrong. It corrects us by showing us what is right and good. And then it trains us in righteousness, telling us how to live rightly. And then that fourth quality of what the Bible is, is it equips us for every good work. It makes us ready for action. So this is what the Bible is. It's God's word. It's all about Jesus. 
It teaches us about God and godliness, and it equips us for every good work. And so let me offer just a quick word of application for this point of the sermon as to why, what the Bible is and why we should submit to it. And the application is simply this, just do it, just submit. This is not something we have to pray and fast about. This is not something that we have to kind of weigh the option about and consider, well, should I do this and should I do that? No, as we read earlier in, in the covenant that we have been saved by grace, we have been given the Holy Spirit and dependent on the Holy Spirit, we have everything we need to honor this covenant in God's word. So this is something that we should do. There's no reason why we should not do it. So based on what the Bible is, and because we have the Holy Spirit, we should just do this, plain and simple. But not only that, we should also submit to the Bible because of what it says. And what I mean by that is this. The Bible makes it extremely clear that our lives should be defined by obedience to Jesus, who the entire Bible points to. Listen to this from Jesus as he speaks to his disciples after his resurrection in Matthew 28, verses 19 through 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, verse 20. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, we usually use this verse, or these two verses, rather, to support global missions. And there's nothing wrong with that. Thank God for global missions and global missions pastors like Pastor Dennis. Thank God for how people have been commissioned and feel a call in their life to take the gospel to the nations. But this is more than just a verse on uh, taking the gospels to the nations. What we find here is a mandate from Jesus himself to obey all that he has commanded. You see that right there where he says, uh, teaching them to command everything that I have told you. Or put another way, it's an obligation to submit to the Bible, which is where you and I find the commands of Jesus. Or as Jesus put it in Luke 6, which was read for us earlier, in verse 46, notice what Jesus says. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? So here, Jesus is linking obedience to him to a right relationship with him. So if we call him Lord, then we must do what he says. Because if we're not doing what he says, then we shouldn't be calling him Lord. Now, yes, we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus's finished work. So we don't want to confuse our obedience as our salvation. We cannot obey our ways to heaven. It does not work that way. There is not enough good in me to get me into heaven. But once I've been saved by grace through faith and what Christ has done, if he is indeed my Lord, then I must submit to him. There is no other way. If he's my Lord, I must submit to his commands. And because his commands are in the Bible, I must submit to the Bible. So here this quote from a gentleman by the name of Thabiti Anabwile, and I know it's probably bad form to quote one of our own pastors, but this quote that he has in this book called Exalting uh, Jesus and Luke, is actually a really good quote that I find that could kind of bring this point home. So here are these words from Pastor T. To call him Lord and not do what he says is to make the word Lord meaningless. Years ago, I heard a preacher illustrate this point by asking people to write two words on a note card. The two words were no and Lord. The preacher told us those two words could not stand side by side. We would have to cross one of the words out he said, if there's any area in your life where you say no to Jesus, then you must cross out the word Lord. 
But if you call him Lord of your life, then you must forever cross out the word no, end quote. If Jesus is truly our Lord, then we must obey him. So we've seen in the Bible and what the Bible says through Jesus commanding us to obey him. The Bible also says that Jesus's lordship over our lives is seen through our obedience to him. And then thirdly, the Bible says that we actually show our love for Jesus by obeying his commands. So listen to Jesus speak in John chapter 14, verse 15, where he simply says to his disciples, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And something that was read for us earlier, John chapter 14, verse 21, I'll just read the first portion of that. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. So we cannot separate our love from Jesus with our obedience to Jesus in the same way that we can't separate our lordship over his lordship rather over our lives with our obedience to him. So if we say we love him, then we must obey him. So we must submit to the Bible because of what it says. Mainly it commands us to obey Christ and what it is, which is the word of God. Now here's the beautiful thing about submission to the Bible. It's relevant for all of us. So I know we're going through the ARC church covenant, but even if you're a Christian and a member of another church, what we find here is still relevant for you because it's relevant for all Christians. When Christ says that we have to, when he commands us to obey him, that's relevant for all of us. But even if you're not a Christian, the command to obey Jesus is still relevant for you. Even if you're not a Christian, doesn't matter if you're a Muslim, a Buddhist monk, a Hebrew Israelite, no matter what you are, the command to obey Jesus is relevant for you. So hear these words from Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 15. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. You see what's happening here? Jesus is going through the streets of Galilee, going to the synagogues, hitting the corners, doing his own coffee and convo, and he's sharing the gospel with people, whoever he's meeting. And then he gives them two commands. He commands them to repent, which is simply to turn from your sins, and he commands them to believe in the gospel by putting their faith in him. So today, if you're here with us and you're not a Christian, we're glad that you're here. If you're online through Zoom, we're glad that you've joined us online through Zoom. We really are. But we want you to know that the command that Jesus gives to repent and believe the gospel, it is relevant for you. It is a command that you must obey. So a lot of times we like to invite people to Christ. That language is actually too soft. We must command people in the same way that Christ does to come to Christ because the command that Jesus gives is a command that they must obey. So the Bible says that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, which simply means that none of us are perfect, not a single person. And the Bible also says that because of the sin in our lives, that we deserve God's wrath. We deserve eternity in a burning hell. But the gospel, the reason why we call it good news is that we don't have to endure uh, the wrath of God because Christ did it on our behalf. So that's why we call him a savior because he saves us from the righteous wrath of God that we deserve because of the sin in our lives. So as we said earlier, Jesus was perfect, but yet he was crucified. So he was crucified on the cross in replacement of sinners. So you and I should have been on that cross because of our sin, but because God loved us. He sent Christ in the flesh, 
lived a perfect life. He stretched his arms wide and he died, taking upon himself the wrath of God. And he did that in our place. And the Bible says that three days later, he was resurrected from the grave, grave rather, proving that what he did on the cross in our place was sufficient to pay our sin debt. And so this morning, if you're not a Christian, I encourage you to obey that command to repent and believe the gospel because that is still relevant for you. And you just have to believe what he has done in your place is enough for forgiveness of sins and to put you in a right relationship with him. Now, here's the wonderful thing about obeying this command from Jesus to repent and believe. It's a command that you will never, ever regret doing. Now, I can't promise you that once you become a Christian, you'll have a life of ease. Nobody can promise you that. I can't promise you that your life is all of a sudden going to get easier and all your problems will magically go away. But what I can promise you is that through those trials, through those tribulations, you will have Jesus and you'll have his comfort. You'll have his blessings. What I can promise you is that once we go from this life to the next, you'll spend eternity with him. And what I can promise you is that you will enter into a new family of brothers and sisters, many who are in this room, who will walk with you through your ups and through your downs. So if you're not a Christian today, obey this command. Right now, wherever you are, repent and believe the gospel. Obey Jesus in that way. So the question we started with was, why should we submit to the gospel? I'm so sorry, that's not the question. The question we started with was, why is submission to the Bible the first uh, commitment in our covenant? And that's because it's the most important commitment in our lives. So a few application questions before we, we go on to the next section. Uh, the next question is, is this commitment true of me? Have I determined to submit to the authority of the scriptures as the final word of all matters of life and doctrine? Number two, is God's word shaping and controlling my mind and as a result, shaping and controlling my actions? So just some things to ponder. And now for that second question we asked, what happens if I ever find myself not submitting to the Bible? What happens if there's actually sin in my life, even when I'm a Christian? And so I just want to provide a few words of caution for how we should understand the presence of sin in our lives, even as we are Christians. Because I've encountered two wrong ways that people have thought about this thing. So one wrong way that people sometimes think about this is that if they are truly a converted Christian, and their sin in their life, some people think they actually lose their salvation. So about 20 years ago, uh, I was attending a wedding from one of my good friends of high school in Philadelphia. I was living at New York at the time, but I found my way down to Philly, which I, y'all know I love to represent Philly. Um, but then after that, I didn't have money, or I didn't want to spend money rather to get back up to New York, and I didn't have a car. So I met a, a couple at the reception who lived in New York, and then they gave me a ride back up to, uh, to New York rather. And I'll never forget the conversation that we had for almost a whole two and a half hours. We were talking about this idea of can you lose your salvation if you're a Christian? And they were convinced that if you're a Christian and you sin, let's say that you're walking down the street, you get hit by a bus before you could ask for forgiveness, they would say you would go to hell. But if you're a Christian, you're walking down that same street, you sin, but you ask for forgiveness and then that bus comes and gets you, you would go to heaven. So they were somehow mistakenly attaching their salvation to their own righteousness. And because of that, they never had assurance of salvation because they would never know at any point in time when that bus was going to get them. 
The second wrong way to think about this is to equate our submission to God with perfectionism. So there are some people who will say that once you become a Christian, that you'll never sin again, that you'll always live rightly. And that's not true either. So what I want to do for both of these is to understand that, yes, we are Christians and we have been commanded to submit to the Bible. But if we find ourselves not doing what Christ has commanded us to do, that doesn't mean that we lose our salvation because our salvation is not dependent on us. So I want to look at a few sections of scriptures that I hope will help us seal this into our thinking. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Matthew 18, verse 15. And we find Jesus saying these words. If your brother sins against you, and I'm sorry, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. So here we have Jesus talking about a true believer in the church, and Jesus himself acknowledges that this believer can sin. Or what about Paul's words in Galatians 6, verse 1, where we read this, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him to a spirit of gentleness. So here, Paul, again, he's talking to a Christian brother, and he too is acknowledging that a brother can get caught in sin. And then finally, from 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 through 6, John writes these words. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this, we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So in these three sections of scriptures, we see that Jesus, Paul, and John all have a category for a Christian to sin at some point in their life, but not lose their salvation. But we also see the right way to think about sin in the life of a Christian, which is restoration and a return to right living. First John is clear, living in a constant state of sin is something that should never be true for any of us if we truly belong to Christ. If we are Christians, we should be known as those who keep his commandments. We have to realize that we have been called to submit to the Bible in all things and to do that at all times. Perfection is our goal, even if it isn't our reality on this side of heaven. But when we sin, we should be grieved about it. We should never be comfortable in our sin. But we have to remember, as I said earlier, we are not resting our salvation in our obedience. We're resting it in Jesus's. Resting in knowing that he was always in constant submission to his father. So I heard someone say like this one time, if we could lose our salvation, we would have lost it already, right? Because there's not enough righteousness in any of us to hold on to our salvation, even after I become a Christian. But there is enough righteousness in Christ, and he will keep it for me, and he will keep it for me. So submission to the Bible does not mean that I will never sin. But it does mean, as our covenant says, that by God's grace, we will have a posture of constantly, though imperfectly, aligning our lives to the commands of Jesus. 
And when we find ourselves not doing that, when we find ourselves sinning, we don't keep sinning. We stop. We confess those sins to God, and then we turn from them, and then we walk in the same manner that Jesus walked, as verse uh, 6 encourages us to do. So if we are a Christian, we should find comfort and assurance of our salvation in Jesus' finished work. But we should also be constantly looking for the presence of sin in our lives. Those areas of our living, those areas of our thinking that don't align with the scriptures. And if and when we find those, we want to shine the truth of God's word on them and eliminate that from our life. So now my third and final question. How does submission to God's word make us better ARC members? So I'm convinced that submitting to the Bible in all matters of life and doctrine helps put our church membership in its proper context, and that helps us become better members. So what I want to do is simply walk through three ways that this happens. Number one, it stops us from becoming, I'm sorry, it stops us from being consumers only, and it helps us be contributors. Now, don't misunderstand me. There's nothing wrong with being on the receiving end of anything here at ARC. Nothing wrong coming to church after a hard week and receiving encouragement and strength from God people, because those, those are things that we should receive when we come to church. So earlier, Pastor D mentioned that the hospitality ministry is about to start up. And thank God for mini muffins, because I intend to be a receiver of that ministry by eating those mini muffins when they're out again, especially that one that has those little white and black chocolate chips. That's my favorite one. So if y'all ever go there and y'all see them all going, that's because I ate them, right? So there's nothing wrong with being a receiver in a relationship that you have at ARC, but receiving is not the sum of what we've been called to do as a member of this church. Our membership at ARC means that we have to be active in all the commitments that we find here in our covenant. I should be praying and working for unity. I should be encouraging others. I should be contributing cheerfully, generously, and regularly to the support of this ministry. I should be active in all of these commitments, not just as a consumer, but also as a contributor. So that's number one. Number two, it stops us from putting too much emphasis on the Sunday service and helps us develop a more balanced church life. And don't get me wrong, Sunday services are important. And like I said earlier, I have truly enjoyed worshiping and fellowshipping with you, my fellow ARC members. And sermons are important, but there is so much more to our lives together than a Sunday sermon. And gathering together to sing God's praises are important, really important, and I've enjoyed it but there's so more to us than that. Family, we have to realize that the majority of our church life is actually not spent in here. It's spent out there. So just think about it. Service starts at 10 o'clock. Now, most of us get here like 10.15, 10.30, 10.45. Y'all sit in the back thinking we won't realize, but we do. That's all right, though. We're going to, as chairman of, a, of the pastor, I'm going to add another we will that we will get to church on time. So that's the next we will coming. But for, uh, but for this example, let's assume we get to church on time, all right? So if we get to church on time at 10 o'clock and we spend three hours here on a Sunday morning, all right? There are seven days in a week, 24 hours in a day. That's 168 hours in a week. Three of those are spent right here. That means 98% of our church life together is not sitting in a pew on Sunday. 98% of that time, as we're supposed to be living out this covenant, is spent outside of these four walls. 
So again, I want to reiterate what we do on Sunday morning, it is important. Our covenant requires us to gather together and our covenant requires that because the Bible requires it. And we've already said that I have to submit to the Bible. So what we do here is very, very important, but I want us to realize that our ARC membership is more than what we do for three hours on a Sunday. We have to have more of a balanced approach to our ARC membership. So look at some of these uh, commitments that we have and think about how easy it is to do that for three hours a day. So even if I got beef with someone, it's easy for me to bear with that person that that person's sitting over there and I'm sitting over, sitting over there for three hours. That's easy to do but it's harder and it's necessary to bear with each other, forgiving, encouraging, and building one another up for that other 98% of my week. That takes intentionality. That takes time. It takes God's grace. Because once we start spending time together, that's when disagreements happen. That's when misunderstandings happen. That's when I sin against you and I need you to do what the covenant says, which is to exercise watchfulness over me and at times admonish me. So again, Sunday service is important and we should gather together, but we can't put too much emphasis on what we do for three hours of a week when we think about our covenant. Because again, the majority of the time that we're living out this covenant, we're living it outside of these four walls. Amen? And then finally, submission to God's word as we think about our covenant makes us better ARC members because it stops us from becoming disgruntled members and helps us become patient and joyful members. And this is really a logical flow of the first two. So if we realize that our ARC membership requires me to be both a contributor and a consumer, and if I realize that my membership here is lived out both here and outside the church, and I am actually living out these commitments, I'm actually submitting to the Bible, then that means that I'm praying and working for unity. I'm devoted to you in brotherly love. I'm patiently bearing with you. I'm working to bring up my children in the way that honors God. And my children need a lot of help. So this is where y'all got to help live this covenant out because y'all saying they right over there. They need help, right? So we got, I love y'all. So we got to live out this covenant, especially when it comes to my children, right? But we're rejoicing and we're weeping together. So if we're doing this, if we're really devoted to living out this covenant, then we don't have time to be worried about if sister so-and-so is not doing what we think she should be doing. We don't have time to think about if someone who's preaching is preaching the exact way that I would be preaching that sermon. If we're really living out this covenant, we don't have time to think about, well, that song they started with, I probably would have done a different song and I probably would have used a drum and not a guitar. We ain't got time for all that. Who got time for that? If I'm trying to love you as I'm supposed to do in this covenant, I ain't got time for none of that. None of it. So we would find ourselves being too busy honoring this covenant and we wouldn't have time to be disgruntled members. Now that's not to say that we never have issues, some of them bogus and some of them legitimate. That's not to say I'm not gonna have an issue with a brother or sister in the church. That's not to say I won't have a legitimate issue with the way that something is done in the church. But that is to say, when we do have issues, we will deal with them as a covenant community that submits to the authority of the Bible in all things in life and doctrine. Let's pray. Lord God, indeed, we do thank you for this covenant because we know that this covenant contains commands that we find on the pages of scripture. 
And we thank you for your word. We thank you for how it has been preserved from generation to generation to generation and is available to us today in multiple translations, in print, digitally, any way that we could think of. So we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is indeed a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We thank you for in it, we find the very words of God. And we ask that by your grace and in dependence on the Holy Spirit, that you would so work in us that we could truly live out this covenant in a way that honors you and in a way that shows love to our fellow members. So through it all, Lord God, we're trusting you. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen. Amen. Yeah.